ACTs and SATs, are they even needed anymore? That's the topic for this edition of the Inside Scoop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Inside Scoop. I'm David Owen. Over the past few years, things have changed and changed a lot. At one point, it was announced that many colleges and universities were no longer requiring standardized test scores for admission. Here to give us the scoop on the current state of things in the world of admissions is the high school and middle school counseling consultant, Patty DeSelva. Welcome to the podcast, Patty. Hi, thanks for having me. A lot of the colleges and universities are like making it variable as to whether you ne- are they needed anymore? First question out of the gate. I mean, I feel like everything that has to do with SAT and ACT isn't a very clear cut answer. Uh-huh. Um, are they needed? Really, a lot of that has to do with the college or university that a student is interested in. Um, You may see the words test optional. You might see the words test blind. But really, all that means is, are they going to look at your scores if you choose to take it? So uh, it it very much depends on where you want to go. Very much so. Okay. So unless a student knows already where they want to go like an exhaustive list, they probably should take it? Is that? It it doesn't hurt to take it. So I know there's many students that just, they don't like testing. They think they don't do well at it. Um, It might cause just some stress or some anxiety, but there's really no harm in taking it because you have a choice of whether you want to send the scores or not. Oh, that's so a good point. Yeah. It's not, there is an option bef- while you're signing up for the test to automatically send scores, which is typically best used the closer you're getting to graduation and application deadlines. But really, there's no harm in taking the test, see how you do, see if your scores would help, and kind of make that decision from there. See if the college requires it and make the decision from there. It's, is one test better? I've, I even heard of a, a competitive test. I don't know if that's if it's on the professional radar yet or not, but I think it's called the classical learning test, uh, the CLTs, I guess they'll call them. Um, is one test better than the other? Um, so the CLTs I am not familiar with, okay. but that is very interesting to hear. And I'm not surprised because... There, there's always a discussion of, you know, monopolizing, right. right? Like the SAT, the college board, you know, has taken over everything and the ACT is always trying to catch up. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's another entity coming in trying to, you know, be a part of that. Um, but really, as of or when it comes to SAT and ACT, there's really not one that's better than the other. It has to do with which one better suits the student. They are two very different tests. I was going to say, what is that difference between the ACT and the SAT? So the ACT is is much more straightforward questions. So if they ask a question, uh, what is two times two? It it equals four. So if you see four as the answer, you answer it and move on. Um, This does cause the ACT to be much more fast paced. And so that's why many students will find they don't have enough time, but they want you to just answer it and move on, answer it and move on. Whereas the SAT is more um, critical thinking, um, digging in between the answers. If they ask you two times two, you're probably missing a step in there somewhere. It's probably two X plus two or something that's not necessarily as straightforward. So they give you more time per question to allow you to think about it, use those critical thinking skills and really 
put your best thought into an answer before you move on to the next one. Would it be fair to characterize the SATs as trickier? Yeah. <laughs> or, I mean, I think it, that's that's very fair. But it's also interesting because there's there's almost like a regional um, alignment uh, per like se. Preference. Yes, in a way. So Georgia, for many years, has tended towards the College Board and SAT side, um, which is you know shown through how the state pays for all 10th graders to take the PSAT. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so we like to have 8th and 9th graders take it to prep for it in 10th grade. In 11th grade is when the National Merit Qualifying comes in, which is only done through the PSAT and the SAT. Um, whereas the ACT, there's other states that, like Alabama, for example, they tend to be very much an ACT state, and they might do a pre-ACT during the day as we do PSAT um, for our students. So I, I think the message to, to pull from that is the uh, state of Georgia is full of more critical thinkers than the state of Maybe not. Maybe not. I, sh I threaten, shouldn't throw shade on, on our neighbors uh, to the West. I, uh, I wish there was more critical thinking skills nationwide, much well, less in our state. That's a whole different podcast. Um, so, when, I mean, this time of year feels like the, the SATs and ACT announcements go out and, and stuff. Is, is this the time of year that uh, parents should be looking for those tests or is, does it matter? Um, so spring does tend to be testing season. Okay. Um, I think the kind of age old wisdom was test in the end of your junior year. Right. But really the best time to start testing is when a student is at least halfway done with algebra two. So oh, that could wow. come in 10th grade. Yeah. For some that are really accelerated in math, that could come in ninth grade. But the majority of the math on these two tests tends to go not much more upwards than algebra two. So that's really the point to determine when a student should start testing to just be best prepared for the content that's on the test. Okay. And um, you can take the test several times, can't you? Sure. I mean, um, it, it costs money to take it. Right. right? That is how, the downside. Do you know how much? Oh, man. I have not been in it long enough. It used to be about $50 okay. per test. But that could have gone up. Everything yes. else has gone up. So. Yes, very much so. Um, I will say it is important that any families who receive free or reduced lunch, mm -hmm. that they know they can take each SAT and ACT twice for free. Oh, as long wow. as they talk to their school counselor about getting a waiver. Of yeah, get it coordinated code. through your counselor. Mm -hmm. That's, That's awesome. a very important piece of it. And I know there's a lot of stigma about whether or not families want free and reduced lunch, but I always encourage it because not only can you do these for free, but there's even college application fees later if you test for free that it can ah. waive those fees as well. Oh, thinking ahead. That's yeah. that's critical thinking. <laughs> that's awesome. I took the SAT back <laughs> in high school. <laughs> so is uh, test prep necessary? I mean, can you really prepare for one of these tests if, uh, I, as I perceive it at least, it seems like it's attempting to assess what you have learned in all of your schooling, K through 12, right? You'd be right about that. So uh, how far can test prep actually take you? So you're definitely right that the content on the tests really should be uh, what you've learned, mostly in high school. Some right. of it might dip into middle, but it's really going to be mostly high school content. 
Um, test prep, it's not going to teach you anything. It may go back and review algebra. So if it's been three years since you've taken algebra, it might be helpful to review yeah. some of those concepts. But really what test prep does is it just helps a student feel comfortable in the test environment. So they'll practice timing. They'll practice um, kind of organizing their thoughts. They'll practice um, even the ACT can be easy, medium, hard questions. So some of the test prep may suggest starting at the end of a section to do the hard ones and then work yeah. backwards. But it's really just a matter of comfort and going into the testing center that day and not just like clamming up. And So it's not as much about the test itself. It's about how to take a standardized test. Correct. Is that okay? All right. And because well. the two tests are so different, the ACT one, the prep probably will be more about the timing of it and, you know, keeping a watch with you so that you can see how much time you're spending per question. You don't spend too much time per question, yeah. but it's really just the how the test works and the comfort of being in that environment and just feeling your best self and feeling most confident going into that test and, you know, giving it your best shot. Like keeping a healthy pressure on you to keep moving, but don't don't get super anxious about it, right? Right. So what are, I know that the ACT and SATs have different scoring uh, ranges. What, what's a good score on each of them? So again, going back to kind of what I said at the beginning, there's there's not really a concrete answer for much of when it comes down to SAT, ACT, and really college admissions pieces at all. Um, there's not a good or bad score per se. Um, it really comes down to the college or university that a student is interested in. Mm -hmm. um, another piece of this are scholarship organizations. So when we talk about uh, that test optional piece, some scholarships, that might be the only way that they can determine who is the best selection, but there's not a good score. I always suggest students give themselves a goal, uh -huh. but a realistic goal of what they want to score based on colleges that are a good fit for them overall. We okay. always want students to have the safety schools, right? We also always want them to have their dream schools, hmm. but it's those middle of the road, those range schools, those target schools. Yeah. What do they require of a student? And if that's a school that fits your needs, that's a good goal to set for yourself instead of reaching way too high and then just feeling defeated every time you don't get that score. And always try to consider more than just one school because you lose that one, you're devastated, and then you're set back to ground zero. Again, I mean, a whole nother podcast. We could talk yeah. about college admissions for days. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> well, don't do not settle on just one school. Reach, range, and safety is what we call them. Reach, range, and safety. Always reach high. Mm-hmm. Stay within your range mm -hmm. and then also have a safe fallback. Always got to have a okay. plan. All right. So uh, the the old days, they used to have an essay section on the SAT. I don't know. Did they have it on the ACT? They did. Uh, okay. Uh, how, how are those done nowadays? Are they, do they still have them? So the SAT was redesigned many years ago, pre-COVID okay. even, and they um, they don't have a specific essay section. They kind of took the essay into the English language arts grammar. They, they embedded it in there. Mm -hmm. The ACT does still have an essay section. Um, it's a random topic given with a certain timetable and um, 
kind of modern research is showing that colleges aren't looking at that as heavily anymore. I would say it's worth it to do it once just so it's kind of done. And if you do encounter a college that wants to see those scores, at least you have it done with. Mm -hmm. Um, But most colleges and universities agree that a timed written essay is not going to show your best work, which of course there's argument of that with any timed assessment, but there are benefits to time standardized tests. But the essay piece, um, many colleges that want to see the written aspect of it, if that's a, you know an integral part of their program, they might request a written assignment you've done while you're in a high school. Maybe it's a topic you've chosen. Hmm. Maybe it's one you've done really well on. It's a way of you showcasing yourself that's not in a, here's a random topic you might know nothing about, right. give me an argument in a 30 minute time period. And it, it probably is more reflective of your cognitive abilities, I would think, because it's less about anxiety and last minute rush. It might actually be catering uh, on the timed essays, might be catering more to the uh, the procrastinators, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I always did fine on the timed essays because it was like a brain dump. But yeah, I don't think it's for most high school students. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a great indicator of whether you can write well when you can write in just a short period of time, because in college, in universities, that's not generally something that's going to be looked at or assessed is that if you can write quickly and well, it's yeah. going to be just your overall writing in general. So uh, I think you kind of touched on this earlier. Um, how many times can or should a student take the ACT or SAT? So they can take it many times. Um, Tests do have, the SAT and ACT do have a maximum amount of times that you can take it. But most of the research shows that a plateau tends to happen after like the third or fourth test. So usually you test once, you're kind of just getting your feet wet, seeing what the test looks like. Um, just getting acclimated to the test environment. The second time, scores do tend to go up whether or not you have test prep, just because you're prepared for what that test is going to ask you. Well, the first test was your prep, right? Right. (laughs) Basically, it could be. Um, And then the third and fourth time, there doesn't tend to be much more... escalation in points there's not big gaps that research has seen so it conventional wisdom is usually two to three times is probably the average of what students um, how many times they will take the test and and that's counting the psat or that's in addition to that would be in addition to so the psat although similar to the sat Uh is still not going to be the exact same test because it is just preliminary it helps to see what the testing environment is going to be like especially like i said um here in cobb and in georgia in 10th grade the test is purchased for all students so they have that opportunity to be in a secured testing environment Mm -hmm. that would be very similar to the rest of them um but they are still two very different tests Okay. Now, the the last question is one that I think uh, may impact a lot of families, and that is how engaged, involved should parents be in their uh, students' application process and the the testing process and so forth? Can, Can you give us some insights on what the ideal would be in a, a family environment? The ideal 
answer would be that families, parents, guardians, that they serve as support. So really the students should take the lead on almost anything when it comes to high school. So by the time they reach ninth, maybe 10th grade, they should be the ones kind of leading the charge. So if they are registering for the SAT or ACT, um, if there's not a very clear cut website, then Googling it usually brings up the best way to get to it. I was going to say, it. they got no excuse nowadays, no, right? No, <laughs> I don't think so. But most schools and most counseling offices do have the websites that they can click on. But it's a the first time they take either test, it's a pretty lengthy application, but because there's also an interest inventory that's included in there. And the SAT and ACT will send, you know, potential career options based on that interest inventory. And they might even ask what a student is looking for in a college or a university. And although families do know their students pretty well, there's just no reason for them to do that application when right. it's asking those kinds of individualized to the student questions. So my suggestion in an ideal world would be that the parent or the guardian of the family sit with the student, mm -hmm. sit down together to do it so that if the student's doing the application and they have questions, then you're right there to answer it. But then also at the end when payment comes in, if that's where a family's gonna help, then you're there ready. You can offer the payment. Um, and then also it just really helps to prepare the students. If they're taking the SAT and ACT to go to college, then they're going to need to know how to do things on their own. Yep. And the parents are always going to be there to support. So it's good to just kind of start in that, you know, vein of, you know, how to operate as soon as possible. You know, let them do the application. Let them ask questions. It's it's not as easy as, oh, well, students are so busy with everything. Well, parents are busy with a lot of things, too. So work together. It's Sometimes it's harder to sit back, though, right? It is. As a parent. Um, it is. But, but I get what you're saying. I think the listeners will appreciate that, too. And if, if you're about to send your student off to live life somewhat alone, they they need to start taking those reins and having parents nearby. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Absolutely. Let, let them fail while you're nearby so that when it's time for them to actually go, everything is, is cool and you can rest assured they know what they're doing. And they also know that you're always there. So, I mean, maybe it's a moment that the parent can sit there and read an email that they've been sitting in their inbox for a while that they haven't had the time to do yeah. while well, the student's answering their interest inventory. And then if the student has questions, they're there to help. And then the test day too. So here's the other thing that we've come across. When the parents do too much, the families do too much for the students, uh -huh. then they show up for test day unprepared. They give this lovely uh -huh. test ticket that is on one page detailed with exactly what you need to bring. Yeah. But every single time that test is offered, there is a photo ID that's forgotten, or there is a pencil that is forgotten, or a calculator. <laughs> so the more ownership a student takes of the registration, the more they'll take of getting prepared for test day. And I really think the more they'll take doing the actual test and feeling confident going into it as opposed to scrambling that morning and saying mom dad did you did you get all my stuff ready like where's my pencil oh. Oh. so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's taking ownership but it really does set them up for success in the future and kind of what they're going to encounter 
when they leave the nest. And like you said, uh, beginning early in the high school years, maybe second second year of high school, you, you as a parent, it's, it's a good idea to start letting them totally spread their wings, do their thing. Yeah, yeah. I okay. mean, you're always there. You know, they're well, the your only, safety net. The only caveat I would say, and and you correct me if if I'm wrong, but the the FAFSA, the financial thing. Well, how, how engaged should the parent be on that? I mean, there's a student section for that, too. So, <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, really, like, I, I think the many post-secondary organizations and really even just secondary schools uh-huh. are trying very hard to encourage the students to take ownership and, you know, allow the parents to still be a part of it because that's what we want. We want to be a part of our kids' lives, but we also need to prepare them for what the world's going to show them, what they're going to encounter. But, no, the FAFSA has a student piece where the student can complete their part. It's like step one, and then step two is the parent part. So the student can even start the FAFSA and basically hand it off to the parent. Or, again, in an ideal world, they can sit down together and do it. Well, this has been incredibly enlightening, and I've, I really appreciate you coming by and helping our, our listeners understand what what some of the, the advantages and pitfalls are in the whole process. Uh, testing, obviously, is just a part of the admissions process, but it sure is a huge part, right? Yes. So, listeners, check out those show notes for some helpful links, and make sure you like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out. You might also want to consider sending it to a friend. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Inside Scoop, a podcast produced by the Cobb County School District.